Hello and welcome to the Retro Buffy Park, where we are going to take a look at some of the best and most interesting episodes of one of the greatest shows of the 90s, maybe of all time. I'm your host, Carl Pierce, and joining me is Sam Carmichael. Hello, Sam. Hello, thank you for having me. You're very welcome. So, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing really well. Uh... You know, I've had a busy day uh, and um, looking forward to talk about one of my favourite TV shows. Good, good. Yeah, oh, well, I've had a good day, but the opposite, I've been off. So I've just been chilling and farting about, basically. <laughs> um, so, Sam, tell us a little bit about uh, your Buffy fandom, how you came about watching it and uh, were you like a fan from the off or did it take you a while to get into the show? Uh, well I never got into it until I would say early 2000s uh, just because uh, of my age I guess I'm quite you know I wasn't you know that old when it first came out so I was more like a teenager when I started getting into it and uh, and I just remember my cousin was obsessed with it. She loved it so much. Uh, she had like all the DVDs or videos back then, I think. Um, uh, she just loved loved the show. And I was always into like uh, supernatural TV shows. And I just remember watching the first couple of episodes and just got hooked right away. It was one of those where I would just binge each season uh and uh it just really like was kind of blown away by like how good the storytelling was but also the fight scenes as well especially for television uh i just thought the quality was just great yeah well i got into it in the in the ninth in the late 90s when it originally sort of came out in, in UK television. I was sort of looking for something to watch, just looking through the channels, came across an episode and yeah, the you know, the writing, acting was just that good. Uh, I was hooked straight away. I didn't expect to be. Um, when I first saw it advertised on Sky, I had reservations because I'd seen the original film. Have you ever seen the original film at all? I haven't, but I've heard kind of... I've heard bits about it, and I've noticed that it's not. I've heard that it's not really that great. Yeah, it's it's seen as sort of a cult classic these days, but it, it, it's sort of tosh, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so yeah, it, but it does. But the events of the film are sort of referenced 
in this like first episode, like the burning down the gym and that. So it is kind of canon, even though it was played by a, a different actress and that. But but yeah, I ended up buying all the VHSs. Yes, it was that long ago, and uh, upgraded to DVDs when DVDs came out and. And now they're free on Disney Plus if you subscribe to that. So if you're listening to this and haven't watched it, then you need to. But we're assuming, because you're listening to a part about Buffy and it's 20 plus years old, you have watched all the episodes and know them inside out. So we're not going to go through and break down each episode. We're just going to go dive straight in and start discussing our favourite parts Um see what we make make of it and we're just gonna wing it a little bit as well which you might be able to tell so let's get started oh, um so i take it you've rewatched it recently for this um podcast and sam yeah i uh, watched it a few weeks ago uh because we were hoping to do it this uh recording sooner uh but yeah i was kind of blown away by it again uh it's honestly made me my partner want to sit and watch all of it again um it's just so good it it feels more like a season finale than it does the opener to a, a season or a tv show in general uh i just thought it was so good yeah it's it's one of the better first episode i won't say pilot because there, there was a pilot which was completely different and had uh different characters uh, a couple of different actors in it like willow was played by someone else in uh in the original pilot which you might be able to track down on youtube or online if you look hard enough but yeah it's really good at sort of setting the tone of the show and explaining goings on without without it feeling like a huge exposition dump in the middle of the show which a lot of tv shows seem seem to do it can be quite hard just getting that first little bit out of the way that sort of sets the show up so i think it does really well in that and introducing the characters in like all in an organic way yeah i really enjoy that um buffy already knows that she's a slayer so she's not you know like a lot of like modern superhero movies is where they or tv shows they are just nobodies and then they something happens to them and they become superheroes and they have to go through it all. So it's really refreshing, even though it was back in like the 90s, uh, to see that she has an understanding, you know, limited, but she does kind of understand about vampires and, you know, things like that. And it's like she still has a lot of learning to do. Um but she doesn't have to, you know, start with the training wheels, if you get what I mean. Yeah, exactly. And I always loved the way, the, especially the first three seasons, like school and everything was like all a big metaphor for, all this, for, for life, basically. The school, the monsters and that, it was all sort of really cleverly done. Yeah, I do, I do quite like the first three seasons because... Uh, if you think about the audience for it, they would all be about the same age and uh, as the characters and as the seasons progress, the characters and the audience are um, going in the same direction. They're aging at the same time and, you know, getting all those kind of like metaphors for different life experiences. 
uh, that people and the audience can, you know, relate to. Yeah, I think it's one of the strengths of this show that you, because the characters start at school and then you sort of grow with the characters. You watch them as um, relationships develop as they leave and go to college and then get jobs or just go straight into work if you're Xander. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, relationships and life circumstances change on like something like perhaps the X-Files where uh, um, Mulder and Scully are just in the same sort of will they won't they holding pattern for a good you know seven seasons or whatever yeah it is good to um, go back and see uh, the episodes again because it means that you know you can get those nostalgic memories from when you were a kid but you can also see more nuances in the shows watching them when you're a bit older than you were when you originally watched them yeah a hundred percent and i think i love the way this show uh opens up as well a little teaser before the opening credits as uh american shows do and more british shows seem to be doing these days as well you've got a, a young girl and a young lad breaking into a school the young lads acting all cocky, the, the girls acting all sort of coy and a bit scared, should we be doing this? And it, it's all pretty straightforward and, and normal so far, but then the, and you, you're there expecting the bloke to be a vampire or, and kill the girl, but they subvert your expectations straight away by having the girl turn into a vampire and, and kill the bloke. And I thought it was a great sort of turn of events and sort of set set the sort of stall for the show really yeah and what i love about the show is that they have really strong women characters uh and even if they're you know evil or good it's like i just love that even in the 90s we could get strong female characters and on another note the uh the effects for the makeup uh, for the vampires is still fantastic and it really holds up even to today's standards yeah definitely and you might notice on these first two episodes the makeup's slightly different than the rest of the season and going forward they went for a bit more of a sort of ghoulish effect early on and then decided to to tone it down and another cool thing i like is the very first vampire you see is Dala, which is great looking back in hindsight because she becomes such a integral part to the show and especially Angel's story going forward. Yeah, and she's one of my favourite uh, like vampire characters because we get to see like into her life quite a bit and her motivations as well and i think with this show you have a lot of complex characters uh they're not just you know black and white they have their uh complexities 
Yeah, exactly. And even someone like, it just seems as the shallow school buddy like Cordelia has a lot more going on under the surface. And you sort of find that out as the show goes on. And um, that's basically what the um, the opening 20 or so minutes are off the show, is basically introducing us to all the, the characters and sort of, setting uh, the premise of the show, which I think they do really well. Um, I mean, she's the Buffy f- first, obviously. She's um, having, like, these weird dreams. Uh, we see her mother, Joyce, which is she's a bit of a stalwart of the show for the first five seasons. Um, plays a really good part, I think. Uh, you, you're a fan of Joyce Summers? Yeah, I thought she is always good at kind of trying to ground Buffy as in like um like kind of being in the dark so she's just thinking that she's got this uh uh normal teenager and not really knowing everything that's going on uh so like in the episode where she's like oh you're grounded and Buffy's like knowing that it's you know, could be the end of the world, and she's trying to not just go to a party. So I thought that kind of those interactions were quite fun. Yeah, they really are. I always thought the first three seasons are very good at sort of grounding it all in reality. Um, after four wasn't too bad, but sort of after that, they they sort of struggled a little bit with the uh, the realism. Of um, of everything, they sort of made it believable that all these monsters could exist in the shadows, and people either don't see them or sort of just write that you know f- find ways to sort of um, write it off or sort of um, what's the word I'm looking for? Expl- sort of explain what you've seen in a rational way, rationalize it. That's that's the word I was looking for. Yeah, um, I quite like the um you know the, the earlier seasons where as you say it is more realistic and it's quite grounded uh but yeah i just think that after a while like as a show like this kind of progresses it gets to a point where at some point you would think that humans might kind of catch on to what's going on uh but i think that's just kind of uh like a, a kind of hurdle that you're going to come up against with a show like this going for so long is that um, people will start to think well why are humans not kind of you know catching on to what's going on especially when they have all these strange occurrences happening yeah it's kind of imagine like you see something strange but then you can sort of rush oh it was just this but what if you really did see something supernatural, and that's your, and that's and that, a natural defence mechanism to stop us from going mad. That we're just, you know, able to rationalise it as a trickle of light or something. It's it's kind yeah, of that, yeah. Sorry, go on. Uh, yeah, that does kind of make sense uh, when you think about it on a more psychological um, level. That you know. Um, like you, your mind might play, you might think your mind's playing tricks on you and things like that. And you might, you know, if you did know what was going on, like in the shadows and things, you would never be able to 
sleep soundly ever again if you were just like a normal human yeah exactly and if you're anything like me who has a bit of insomnia and struggles to sleep at the best of times you you really would be screwed oh oh yeah yeah (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah and we're also introduced uh, to Xander quite early on 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 this skateboard And, and you'll probably notice that you never see him ride a skateboard ever again, and that's because it was uh, super hard to shoot. So <laughs> they decided, yeah, we won't, we won't be doing that again. And of course, he sees yeah, the... he probably didn't want to. Yeah, he probably wouldn't want to keep bashing into that a uh, handrail either. That looked that looked pretty nasty. <laughs> <laughs> it it did, to be fair, yeah. <laughs> Not too sure if he had a stunt double, but it looked like he, he did that one himself. And, uh, yeah, he's, we see his friend, uh, Jesse, who, um, in the if you've ever, like me, had the DVD and listened to the um, DVD commentary, just for you to admit that he wanted to, he wanted to sort of Doyle and Tara, uh, Jesse, he wanted to put him in the credits and then kill him off straight away as, like, a big surprise to the audience just to let them know that anything could happen but at that point as the show was just started they realized they couldn't really afford to shoot uh, another opening credit so <laughs> they uh, they had to put that one on the side the back burner but it would have been i think it would have been quite yeah, cool like to idea. do um, i feel like with tv shows nowadays it's like they make it too safe like you never really feel like your main character or any of the like usually with a lot of like superhero movies or tv shows now alone superhero on their own uh and it just feels like it's too safe like oh there doesn't matter what happens none of the main cast are actually gonna get killed you know do that worry like oh like no one's actually see if anyone could get axed <laughs> yeah it it does seem it does seem like that there's a lot of programs where um as you say it's you, you lose that sense of, of danger and urgency because you know nine times out of ten nothing's going to happen to any of the characters there's only a handful of programs i can think of where characters do do get aft uh 24 was a good one for for people who look like they were main characters getting killed off but other than that ones i've watched i can't think of too many uh i think walking dead I've, i don't watch that but i've heard walking dead is a a decent record of uh often characters to to keep things interesting but uh yeah and obviously, Sander sees uh, the hot new girl and starts fancying her, as you as you probably would. And then we also see um, Willow uh, dressed quite nerdy. Uh, I think apparently the network had a few problems with that. They thought she was a bit too nerdy, so they asked her to be sort of killed up a little bit for future episodes and then we see sort of Cordelia who's really nasty to Willow 
your typical sort of high school bully. Yeah, and I really like uh, Willow's character, and I, I think it's fine to make her, you know, overly nerdy because it just adds to like the growth of the character in the later seasons uh so seeing how innocent she she starts off as and then that slow progression you know as she develops and then ends up going uh, dark i think it's just so interesting to see her start from such innocent beginnings yeah definitely like i was saying before watching characters grow and and well it's definitely one of those that really grows and changes as the series progresses and um it's great to see and yeah I, I don't think there's a real problem with it but that's how these networks and um executives are like they 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 like things to be relatively safe and and they tend to panic a little bit but uh there you are and also um we get our first sort of look at Giles when Buffy wanders into the library. Uh, someone I used to think was extremely old when I first watched this, and now I'm probably not far off the age he is. <laughs> did he had his here when he's uh, making this program, which is a bit scary. <laughs> but the less said about that, the better. But uh, yeah, he. he uh, I love Giles. He's a I love character. Giles. Oh, he's amazing. I just, I think his wit is is brilliant. Uh, I just think his, like, deadpan humour is, is great. I love it. <laughs> he is, yeah. And again, we sort of see more layers added and and that to him as the series go, go on. In season one, he's very much the sort of authoritative figure, straight, footy-duddy type and then in season two we start to get a bit deeper into his character and um what it was like in his youth which was which is quite cool to see but yeah he slams a, an old looking vampire book on the, the desk telling Buffy I think I know what you're looking for and she's pretty freaked out about this she goes no no I'm not looking for that and she uh she runs off. <laughs> I suppose yeah. she's hoping to get away from the whole vampire thing and, and lead a normal life, but unfortunately that's just not going to happen. Yeah, I think her mother the wrong town if she's trying to get away from the vampires. <laughs> unfortunately so. I think preceding some of this as well, there's a little fun little bit where she meets the principal um and uh, they have a there's a nice little scene where he's, he's telling her that we start with a clean slate, everything. No matter what you did in the in your own skill, we'll, we'll forget about that. And he starts tearing up uh, uh, sort of records, and then he sees something <laughs> <laughs> there in front of a taping it all back together. <laughs> Oh, that was hilarious. I just thought it was so funny. He's like, oh, it's like clean slate. And then it's like, oh, okay, no, no, absolutely not. No, <laughs> I need to keep my eye on you. <laughs> Obviously, he didn't get the memo to what she actually had done. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that would kind of be the first thing 
that they would have let let the school know. It's like, oh, by the way, they caused a, like a lot of damage to the school. Uh, you may know about that. Yeah, burned down a gymnasium. She always gives away vampire and sort of changes it to rats or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's just so funny. <laughs> but yeah, I actually he, forgot how funny this show is. Yeah, it really is, and uh, I, I used to love Principal Flutie, and he he meets quite a quite a grizzly end bless him as well in a later episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so and then we see um, a sort of first sort of dead body, the 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 lad who got. Killed by Dala and the T's, um, falls out of a girl's locker and the gymnasium calls in a ruckus. And Buffy goes in to investigate that, and uh, we sort of see the first sign of her having supernatural strength as she sort of uh, busts the door open that was locked. And uh, yeah, she's pretty much. Um, knows that, yeah, vampires have either followed her from her own school or are already there. She's not getting away from uh, her sort of duties as a slayer, I suppose. Thank you from your destiny or you can't run away from feet. Yeah, definitely. So she runs back to the library to talk to to Giles and, and, and they have it out. But who happens to be there listening in? It, it's Xander. So we get quite a a good way of sort of um what how he finds out what what she is. Um because he did say earlier on he needed to look for a book. So there he is in the stacks while Buffy and Jars are having this argument about her destiny and having to fight vampires. And he's just like, what are they? I think his first reaction is like anybody's would be. What the hell are they even talking about? Yeah, and that's one of my pet peeves with a lot of uh, superhero TV shows these days is that it's always... They have to lie to their closest friends. They can't tell them who they are. And I like that in this series, everyone who needs to know knows. Like, all her close friends know exactly what's going on after the first couple of episodes. And it's just... it's So you don't get that whole, you know, like, oh, you lied to me all these years. How could you do that to me? And then they have that little bit of melodrama and then they eventually become friends again so I'm glad that we just kind of totally bypassed all of that crap and just kind of get straight into the good stuff yeah the only sort of real character that that happens with is a mum but that does lead to some sort of interesting stuff so um that's sort of understandable you can give that a bit of a pass but uh yeah I, I totally get I totally get that and agree and uh, Buffy's also invited to the, the bronze um, by Cordelia. And I, I can sort of relate to having a place like the bronze because um, when I was sort of their sort of age, um, I live in a very small town and we sort of just had 
one club that was the place to be, and that was about it. So uh, that's pretty much what the, the bronze is. It's like the only the only club in their small little town. I'm assuming it's an unders. It has to be. Because it's all well, everyone they here, all teenagers. Yeah, they seem to let everybody in, don't they? No matter the age. So, uh, but Yeah, they just let vampires in as well. <laughs> no, no, no standards at that place, is there? No, they, they have a bodyguard there, but yeah, he's, he's just letting everyone in. He doesn't care. <laughs> But uh, yeah, on on her way to the bronze, she meets a mysterious stranger, and that this is our sort of first look at Angel, um, who's actually not a season regular in season one. He's not he's not in the credits. That's something I kind of forgot about until um, I rewatched this. It was only from season two he became a proper season regular. But uh, yeah, he plays the. He has some good lines here, actually, and he's not quite as um, brooding as I remember him from other seasons as well. So I, I think he's uh, he's quite good. He's quite good in his few little scenes here. What, what did you think about Angel? What's your first your sort of first impressions of him? Yeah, um, I thought it was all right. It wasn't, you know, because I remember him being very broody as as well uh so it wasn't it wasn't overkill on the broodiness um so yeah when angel goes evil that's just so much fun uh it just i just it just feels like uh the character just becomes a lot more fun and energetic but um then again everyone prefers evil characters i think or soulless characters yeah, I definitely always prefer the villains, I must admit. But yeah, he he got to show a bit a lot more range when he uh, got to play um and jealous to David Barinas to be to be fair to him. But um I do like I do like a couple of his lines here, especially the one where he, she asks him who he is and he says, Let's say I'm a friend and she says I don't need any friends. He says, I said I was a friend, but I didn't say I was yours. And I thought that was quite a clever little line. He delivers it so well. Yeah, it's adding the mystery to him, which is quite good, especially at the start of the first season, because you're kind of wondering, you know, who is this, you know, vampire? Why is he not killing the Slayer? And then you're also wondering, why is she not killing him? Because, you know... Um, she's a slayer. I thought the whole point was that she kills all vampires and not just ones that are being, you know, bad vampires in the moment. So, yeah, I it's don't, adding I, that mystery hmm. to it. I don't think we actually know he's a vampire at this point, actually. I think he's just oh. sort of portrayed as a mysterious stranger. I mean, it's easily to, easy to forget that when you've already watched all the episodes all the way through yeah. and we now obviously we know now watching in retrospect that he's a vampire but um mm. I, I i very clearly remember and not not realizing he's a vampire until a little bit later on in the in the series oh i totally forgot about that i think it's just once you watch the whole series mm. you just know certain things but yeah uh 
Whoops. Yeah, <laughs> that's all right. But yeah, we're definitely not supposed to to realize he's a vampire just yet. Um, he's just like a a tall, uh, attractive, uh, mysterious stranger at this point. Although I got so distracted by how silky his jacket was. It just looked so silky. <laughs> Wait until we get to leather trousers. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, apparently this was a really tough, um, really tough um, act, uh, character to cast. And they went through quite a lot of people and... I think he was discovered walking his dog by one of the casting casting agents or producers of the show, and they and they brought him in. And um, apparently, when he walked, as soon as he walked in, uh, all the all the women in the room ticked the box and wrote, "Yeah, he's definitely the one." So uh, you got um, as a straight male, I, I, I'm not too sure but i've got to say he does have a he does have a certain look about him i must admit especially back then in his younger days would you agree to that yeah because i remember when i was younger i was always more of a fan of angel than i was uh, spike because back in with my cousin she adored spike like spike was her uh, favorite vampire uh, I think that was actually her favourite crush that she had like all the way through her teenage years. And for me, I preferred Angel. And I don't know why. I think it's uh, the probably the jawline, I guess. Uh, but I can understand why all the cast, the female casting, casting were just like, yep, yep, go for <laughs> it. <laughs> yeah. He's, 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 he is a very good looking band. And yeah, I... I sort of had a, a big crush on Buffy and then in season three, Faith came along and uh, we'll say no more. Yeah, Faith is a very, she's a very pretty actress, I would say that. She is very, very pretty. But uh, yeah, we can, we, can get, we can get a bit more about her when, uh, or if we ever get that deep into into the series. Oh, I just wanted to say as well, as I meant to say this at the start, but the original air date for this episode was March the 10th, 1997. So we're going back almost 25 years. Crazy. And I'm even three cra- years old. I, I, I was 17, but... Lord, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that hole. Um... <laughs> I did not realise it was that old. I didn't realise it came out that long ago. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, uh, it holds up really well. The only time it looks dated um, uh, is when we sort of see technology uh, involved, and we'll get into there's a, little, there's a sort of scene in um, the harvest which uh, sort of proves my point, which we'll get to in a moment. But, yeah, we, they all meet up at the bronze. Um, Buffy has a little chat with Willow, tells her to seize the day, which uh, turns out to be bad advice, really, in the end. Uh, Giles has um, 
follow Buffy to the brand and they have a little discussion and they have that sort of um sort of brilliant bit of dialogue between the two and he tells that uh own her senses and you know you should pick vampires out and Buffy just goes that's what he points them out because he's in like really old and fashionable gear and Giles is like but but you didn't own and it's quite cool that like some of the vampires can be easily pointed out because they they sort of stick to the dress codes they know yeah, I love that interaction between the two of them because he's like, he's like, yes, you're honing your senses, and she's like, no, no, I can just tell he just he just looks out of place, and oh, it's just brilliant. It's just one really good back and forth moments between Giles and Buffy, where he's trying to be like serious with her, and she just takes it in a completely different different direction. Yeah, it is brilliant. I mean, he's got his expectations of what a slayer should be like and how to train them. And, uh, yeah, he's got a completely change his sort of tact when it comes to Buffy Summers, which is uh, pretty cool to see, to sort of see him sort of off guard and off kilter at times. But as I was saying... um, they, she also spots this vampire pick up Willow and then they go for a walk. He, he convinces her to it's for ice cream or or something and he takes her but takes her to the cemetery and tries to tell her, Oh, this is a shortcut. I think Xander and Jesse have also been um was it Jesse? I think Jesse gets picked up by Darla and I think Xander tries to follow one of them, doesn't he? If I remember correctly, and Buffy runs after runs after them all to try and save them. And um, they have a bit of confrontation in the crypt where we see um, Luke, one of the sort of main vampires of this sort of opening episode. And he's quite strong, isn't he? And they have a bit of a bit of a fight. Yeah. And I thought it was quite interesting uh, to... Uh, kind of determine which vampires were older and which ones were younger like the younger ones weren't as strong as if like the longer they're uh, vampires the stronger they become or the more they're able to train and he was also able to kind of fight Buffy as well so he's obviously had some kind of training it wasn't just brute force and yeah I quite like that so you're easily can tell that that Darla is a younger vampire than Lucas. Yeah, definitely. And he sort of says uh, to Buffy, you're strong. And he goes, but I'm stronger. It's like bats are away relatively easily. With, it's um, quite, quite scary, you know, quite scary in a way that um, he's able to overpower her so easily at this this opening stage and uh, one thing i forgot um told you we were winging this a little bit i should have mentioned earlier is um when we first see the main villain of um this season the master and it's all about all the vampires he's he's so old that he's even his features are starting to change and go a bit more bat-like what what did you what, what were your sort of impressions of uh of the master did you as a younger 
viewer, did you did you find him a bit scarier than some of the other vampires, perhaps? Uh, yeah, uh, I thought that he was a lot scarier than, say, like the normal ones who just had like their faces scrunched up a wee bit. Uh, but I also love the Nosferatu kind of callback that he's got, um, like the look that he has. And I just love he had like red eyes that where the other vampires seem to have like their natural eye color. Um, but yeah, I just thought he was such a striking figure who had such control over his minions. And uh, I loved how merciless he was. You know, if you disobeyed him, that was it. You weren't getting second chances. Yeah, he's very ruthless. But he also, he also has a fair bit of humour in him as well, which you sort of see in later episodes, which was quite good to, quite good to see as well. There's a bit um, in the season finale where he's where there's this earthquake and he's, well, this is our time, glory, glory. And then he goes to one of his minions, what do you think, 4.5? And it's just, <laughs> it's uh, it's, uh, just, so sort of um, refreshing that he's you know, the villain uh, is, is maniacal and evil, but he also has a bit of a sort of humorous side as well. And um, I also like the fact that his sort of story is he tried to open the hell mouth and he's kind of stuck in this like mystical prison. So it's not like he's always trying to attack Buffy himself and failing. He's sort of this enemy looming large, you know, if he gets set free at the end of the season, that Buffy and her gang are going to be in real trouble. Because even though he's sort of trapped in this mystical bubble and his minions aren't there, this, the other vampires, even Luke, are sort of scared to death of him and they, they really sort of do worship him as well. Yeah, and it's good because it means that, you know, because a lot of the time when it comes to, like, the main villain of a series... It's like they could attack the villains. They could attack like the heroes at any point, but they just choose not to because they're waiting for the final season. So, um, or like the season finale. And with this one, it kind of puts in a plot device to make sure that can't just go and attack them on his own because he's got he's he's trapped. But at the same time, he's still working behind the scenes on trying to get himself free. But he's also able to send his minions off who clearly aren't as powerful or strong as he is. So it means that it builds up, especially for a season that has like 20 odd episodes in it. It does mean that the pacing's quite good and that you know it slowly builds up to this big boss battle. So I think that's pretty good. Yeah, I think what helps this episode as well as uh, well this season was it was a mid-season replacement, so it had only actually had twelve episodes this for this first season, so that kind of helps for that. Whether uh, whether the same technique would have worked over um, a season that was twice as long, I'm not too sure. But because it was a shorter season, it it, it all sort of just was as you say paced just so perfectly. And mm-hmm. um, another thing I forgot to mention was when she met Angel, um, he gave her a crucifix in a, in a little box. And that was meant to be another little um, 
sort of nudge in the wrong direction because he's given her a crucifix. That's what to make you think, well, he can't be a vampire. But, you know, he, he always had it in that little box to protect himself with. And that becomes an important plot device. Um, in part two, as episode two opens where episode one ended with Buffy in dire trouble with Luke about to bite her, but she's sort of squirming in his grip. Um, the um, crucifix sort of comes loose in the in her top, and it, it sort of um, what's the right word? Sort of makes Luke sort of react because of the vamp- the vampires in this world are sort of. I don't know, allergic's the right word, but uh, crosses do affect them anyway. Yeah. Yeah, I thought it was quite interesting to see him kind of, you know, uh, shy away from her because of the crucifix. So that was quite an interesting way to kind of have the angel woman from the first uh, episode kind of be called back at the here. Yeah, 100%. And um, they luckily they, they all sort of managed to get away while Xander, Buffy and Willow do anyway. Unfortunately, they're, they're unable to locate Jesse. And we see um, not much later on that uh, the vampires have got him and I think Dala brings him to um, to the master he's a bit peed off that Dala's already had a had a bite of him and had some of his blood he's like what am I you're, you're puppy now I, I get fed scraps do I and Dala's like well uh, uh. so it's quite a little funny exchange and Luke sort of tells him that he thinks they met a slayer because she was strong enough to fight him and um, he decides right well we won't kill Jesse then we'll we'll make him bait you've just been upgraded to bait so um, nice little bit of uh, dialogue there with the villains yeah, it's quite it's quite good because you can see the uh, humor, um, as you were saying before, that the master has uh, that he uh, he is this powerful being, but he also has these kind of uh, lines that kind of um, not make him, you know, less um, intimidating or anything, but just kind of show like a more humorous side to him. Yeah, it's it's kind of a sort of dry, more sarcastic kind of humour he has, and it it seems to really work for the character. I mean, you you, you go too far with it, and it it gets sort of into sort of parody um, territory. But they they do a good job of just keeping the balance just about right, which is which is really good. And um, another thing uh, that I like about this episode is we. Um, we see Harmony Kendall, who um, was a reoccurring character, is a bit of a stalwart of the Buffyverse. She's, she's, you know, she comes back into the um, the show quite a lot, and even became a, a, a series regular at the end of Angel, which is uh, cool to see. She's in one of the first episodes, and she's in the sort of last episode of Angel. So uh, 
she she makes a mark on the show. Yeah, I actually kind of forgot she was in the first episode because when I seen her, I was like, oh, because um, because I totally forgot she was at the very start of it. Because I remember her being, you know, a regular character. Oh, I just totally forgot she was in the first episode. Yeah, same here, and a little bit of uh, useless information about her. her, her th- her father, um, Robert McNabb, used to be a football player for Arsenal and even got uh, four caps for England back in his playing days. Now, anyone who's interested in football might might find that uh, of interest. And uh, yeah, and that's uh, another bit in the scene where it's it, it, you sort of date the show because you see those computers, and um, nowadays they just look so old, don't they? With the the big monitors and and boxes and and what have you, it's, which is a bit of a shame. But it's uh, a curse of all sort of um, shows of that era. They either don't have mobile phones, or the mobile phones they do have are like. Or like, or like bricks, or, or don't even have cameras on them. So, uh, yeah, these are the sort of things that do tend to date these shows, unfortunately. Yeah, because when you're watching the show, you can easily think, oh, this could be... ...be modern day, but then when you think, you know, like, oh, maybe to go and remaster it, they could probably go in and... Changing. If you can make actors look younger, I'm pretty sure these shows and just touch up the technology. It would be cool, wouldn't it, if they could do that? But I don't know if it's really worth it. But uh, yeah, you, you never know. They might they might come a day when uh, they can go back and and do things like that. Um, and we also I get. I would rather. Uh, I would rather they do that then remake it just just go go back and touch up to make it look more modern just don't remake it please don't (laughs) yeah yeah definitely because there were rumors they were going to do like a a film that you know like a new film version at one stage but uh that seemed to die a death thank thank goodness yeah it's like you had a good run you ended the show really well and if you want to know what happened afterwards just read the comics you've got all of season eight in the comics you can read that you don't have to go in and remake it and you know give us younger actors and rehash old stuff i mean the show is still phenomenal it still holds up really well it's like just leave it be leave it be yeah, because the thing is, vampires aren't meant to age, so if you just see him trying to like de-age uh, James Masters and David Barinas and all that, so, so they still, so they still at the same age as as uh, their vampires are meant to. Um, which I don't know. I've never been convinced by the de-aging um, effects. There's not many films that have really pulled it off well. I don't think. I don't know if you would agree with that. Yeah, it's like, I just don't see the point in it. It's like, I don't know, it just seems... Like, for example, the the one that comes to mind is Samuel L. Jackson in Miss, like uh, Captain Marvel. 
and I'm just like, what's the point? Because if you think about it, Samuel L. Jackson has aged really, really well. It's like, if you just kind of maybe dies here a little bit, he could easily pass for younger, you know? Because, like, a lot, that's the thing with a lot of celebrities is a lot, unless, like, you're talking about, like, Mark Hamill, who clearly doesn't look like, you know, um, it just seems like with these actors, it's like they don't need the CGI because the CGI just, it just makes them look like plastic or just makes them look really rubbery. They don't really look right. You kind of go into uncanny valley territory. Um, so, yeah, I, I would just say just don't bother. Like, just get a younger person that looks slightly like that person if you want to do a younger version of another actor. Yeah, and it can be done. I've seen some quite convincing um, younger actors sort of take the place of, um, oh, you know, the older actors in, in films and that, and you think, Christ, it really could be that person's son or or, or whatever. Um, it's quite scary sometimes how, 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 you know, how they can do it when they get the casting right. Um, but yeah, I totally agree with you, Samuel Jackson. I mean, I think he's in his seventies now, and you, you would not have him at, uh, that old, would you at all? And he's so cool yeah. for an older person. I mean, he's a lot cooler than me. I mean, yeah, he looks great. I mean, I wouldn't have thought he was that age, I like either. I'm just like, wow. Uh, I don't know what it is. If it's just you know being in Hollywood and you know uh, certain you know, procedures or whatever, but I don't think he's actually had anything, any work done. And I think it's just certain people just age amazingly without having to get work done. Because usually when you get work done, that's when you start looking like a plastic doll. Yeah, you start looking a lot, look far worse than if they just left, left themselves alone. But uh, yeah, he's definitely one of those lucky few that has, has aged really well. Has to be sad. But uh, yeah, we also get the uh, moving on back to Buffy. We get the sort, of, the sort of exposition bit now in the library where we have all the, all the sort of exposition for the first three seasons where Giles is explaining to the, to the others about vampires and werewolves and all the things as he, he sort of, as a paraphrase that you never thought could be in the light of day are real. And he sort of explains a bit about this harvest thing as well, which is what the vampires are trying to do. He's usually Luke as a vessel. So when he drinks someone's blood, it gives the master strength and they're hoping to give the master enough strength to break out of his mystical prison. So, um, So that's the sort of the plot, basically the, the sort of plot of this uh, part two of this um, opening episode. Really, is uh, the master's plans to to break free, and it basically involves a massacre. I mean, as as they all do, right? I mean, there's only <laughs> one way to break out of a mystical prison: is to just slaughter as many people as you can. Quite, quite. <laughs> And uh, sort of 
gotta give props to Xander's sort of green well, green and white mushroom shirt as well. That that is one choice of shirt. Very nineties. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> I probably had a shirt similar to that, stashed away. <laughs> Pat that as well, I dare say. But uh, yeah, that's about my fashion choices, uh, the better. And um, yeah, um, I think uh, Willis sort of volunteers to um, look on the council, the sort of Sunnydale uh, Council's website to sort of see if they can find um, plans for the city's sort of sewer system so they can see how the vampires get around and sort of Giles realises what she's doing. is isn't strictly legal, but he's sort of forced to sort of turn a blind eye because they, they, they need to know. And as um, Buffy tries to attempt to, to leave the school grounds, Principal Flutey shows up again and he's, uh, yeah, no, you've got <laughs> that it on. Leaving school grounds, oh, oh, but uh, uh, the librarian sent me on an errand, but uh, he's, he's not buying it, and he sort of shuts the gate and what's up. And then again, we see another glimpse of sort of Buffy's super natural abilities, as where we don't actually see it, but it sort of suggests that she sort of jumps over the gate in a single bound. Sort of old school Superman powers there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know why she doesn't want to be a slayer. I mean, it, I don't see any downside other than having to fight a few vampires. So, I mean, she's got super strengths. She can, you know, jump over tall buildings. It just seems like a blast. Yeah, I don't think we've ever seen any examples, again, of her actually being able to jump quite that high. Um, but um, I imagine she probably has a bit more athleticism than your your average person. And yeah, I mean, so far, I mean, it seems pretty cool being a slayer. And apart from Luke saying vampires doesn't seem that that difficult, to be honest. Yeah, and if you've got jails giving you all the training you need, you know, to be able to fight back against vampires that are stronger than you, it's like win-win. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, we get another, and she gets back to the cemetery in the crypt. That's where they realise the entrance of the vampire's lair is. We, we get another brief glimpse of Angel. And uh, again, he, he delivers another fun line, I think, when she tells, why don't you go down there? They really don't like me dropping in. Why is that? They really don't like me. <laughs> I thought that was quite a fun little line by him. And also very true. but yeah he sort of warns her to be careful and uh, about the harvest and that and tells her perhaps perhaps it's not the best idea to go bounding down there but she does anyway and um, Xander isn't far behind, I'm not too sure how Xander negotiated the closed gate unless he found uh, another way out but uh, we, we shan't worry about that and um, they find Jesse uh, alive and, well, what they think is alive and well, but uh, he leads them into a dead end and reveals himself to be a vampire. 
and um, we get to see the sort of first sort of, bit of real sort of peril because like there's quite a lot of vampires advancing on them and they're stuck down in this little room having to sort of barricade them in so it's quite a quite a cool little moment we sort of see the sort of strength of the vampires as they start clawing at the door and sort of ripping it apart as uh, Xander and Buffy manage to find eventually find a way out through uh, uh, through, I think it's a bit of a vent isn't it yeah, I think it's just such a cool uh, scene because it's kind of giving you um, kind of like horror vibes uh, for the show, uh, just like with the with the vampires clawing clawing at the door and things like that. And you know, you wouldn't really see uh, many like uh, horror elements kind of creeping into the show, but not going too far with it because it's still for you know, a teenage audience. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Uh, There's only so far they can sort of push things to sort of get, I suppose, the ratings and time slots uh, they wanted. But, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, Zander and um, Buffy get away. Um, We have another convening in in the library and they sort of decide that yeah if they're going to go anywhere for a slaughter it would be the bronze so um they head to the bronze but the vampires have already got there as uh, so a nice bit of dialogue again but this time by luke when he says i forget what he says it is because there's no cause for alarm and it's actually there is cause for alarm it just won't do any good and uh, <laughs> he starts he starts feeding on um, the bronze goers, which look to be mostly Sunnydale High students. And then as he feeds, you sort of see the master getting stronger, and he sort of puts his hand on his sort of mystical prison, and you can sort of see it sort of weakening or its sort of strength sort of starting to force his way through so circumstances are starting to look a little bit dire but and um he asks for someone else to be brought brought to him to feed on and darla selects uh cordelia so straight away one of the main characters is in a bit of trouble again but luckily buffy's there to save the day yeah and what i really like about the filming of these uh this scene is when you get like the contrast between uh the nightclub and the master because you're you can get that connection that what's happening there is affecting the master and even when they start fighting and buffy starts getting the upper hand you can even it cuts back to the master and you can see that he's starting to feel They're getting sure again and realize bad is happening, that it's not going his way. So I just think storytelling is really, really good. Yeah, definitely. It's done in a really good way. And um, I like the fact there's a good scene where Buffy sort of decapitates a, a vampire, vampire of a symbol of all things. 
which is really funny. And we sort of see that the vampires aren't always super clever either, because she sort of says, you're forgetting about one thing to do, and that's daylight, and she smashes what looks to be a window, but it isn't. It's just like a, it's just like a light, and for a second, Luke's like, ah, I think he's gonna, thinks he's gonna turn to dust, and then Buffy tells him, which is in like six hours, moron, and then she just stakes him. So, um, there was a really funny moment where before she goes up to Luke, she like stakes one of the vampires and it just kind of sticks in him and then he falls over. Oh man, uh, that had me with the statue <laughs> when I seen that again. <laughs> oh yeah, I think, isn't it with a pill cue or something like that? And yeah, you just you just see like yeah, cue, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I just thought that was hilarious. Uh, and Xander. Accidentally, sort of staking Jesse, even though um, he didn't quite have his um, stake at, at heart level, really. But uh, we'll, we'll sort of let that slide. But yeah, he's sort of uh, sort of talking to him, and then I think some some sort of some random sort of knocks into vampire Jesse and uh, pushes him onto the stake that Xander's holding. So he sort of stakes his first vampire kind of by accident. Womp, womp, womp. You need to get that on a t-shirt. It happens. Whoopsies. And um, yeah, so most of the vampires are vanquished. Uh, I think it's it Willow throws holy water and Dala, and, and she runs off. So Dala lives to to fight another day. Yeah, it's good that all the uh, like the friend characters are seen being active in this scene. It's like they're all participating in one way or another. They're not just kind of sitting off to the side and just waiting for it to be over so that's quite good it's better than you know showing that they're a liability that they're not and it shows that they're actually they might not be as strong as the slayer but they're able to uh, participate and help out when they can yeah they definitely all have their sort of abilities and um ways to help buffy which is really good especially sort of Willow with her sort of tech skills and sort of later on when she gets the sort of witchy powers as well. Um, it's, it's also fun, the sort of end sequence when uh, Giles is sort of explaining to them, like we were talking before, like Willow wondering why nobody's talking about vampires and, and whatnot, and they sort of explain how things are sort of rationalised by people and um, they sort of say, oh, you know, we can sort of just sort of say, oh, you know, you never know what might be next. It might be werewolves or suck you by and, and whatnot. And there's that famous line at the end where I forget what Buffy says, something about a sail somewhere or something. And Giles just says, the world is doomed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got to love Giles. Yeah, it's just a brilliant bit of humour that sort of breaks breaks everything up, and it it really works well. And uh, 
need to give props to the the theme tune as well. I think it was a really good sort of 90s theme tune, nice sort of guitar riff that sort of fitted the show really well. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. I think that's probably one of the only shows where I will never skip the intro. Cause, uh, not the intro, but like the little kind of, yeah, the intro, the little song, but I would never yeah. skip it because it's just... It's just so good, and you just sit there and you rock out for a wee bit, and then then you're into another episode. So it's really good. It's really great. Because in the sort of mid noughties um, and into the sort of early 2010s, those those sort of intros sort of went out of fashion a little bit, didn't they? Like programs like Lost, you just have like a a black cutaway for a couple of seconds with Lost, and then the show starts. Uh, straight away after the trailer and all the sort of characters sort of listed on sort of in text on screen as the as the show starts where very much in um, the 90s and that you had like a proper sort of 30 second intro of a bit of music and sort of still little like montages of the characters which I kind yeah, of miss in some always... shows yeah, I kind of, I think I really love, like, seeing the little intro that kind of introduces you to the characters as well. Uh, and one of my favourites was Small, like, that song was amazing. And again, another show that I would never skip it, just so I could just sit there and sing along to it and listen to it. It was great. What well, the show was that again? Sorry, you, you cut off a little bit there when you were saying that one. Uh, Smallville. Ah, Smallville. That's one I never really actually watched Smallville, to be honest. It's not one I really, really got into. I've seen the odd episode, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah, I um, loved it. My brother was into it, and he had the things. And what I did was I watched the first, like, I got his DVDs, and I watched them, uh, I binged them. And then at that point... It was still on TV, I think. And then... Cool. Um, but yeah, I think... I don't know if any other uh, Buffy characters cropped up in there, but I know, I know uh, James Masters, who played Spike, uh, had a role in uh, um, Smallville. Wasn't he Brainiac, something like that, if I remember correctly? Yeah. Yeah, he he was awesome. It's just I just love it when you see actors that have went from one uh one show to another and uh, oh it's just great. And Christopher Reeves had uh, a role in Smallville as well, which was awesome. Even though he was uh, in the wheelchair and he was going through his illnesses and stuff like that, but uh, yeah, it was just awesome for him to be a part of that as well. Oh, that was really cool. I actually never realised he, he he was in it. So uh, there you go. You learn something new every day, folks. So that's, yeah, that's really cool. But um, overall, um, how, how would you sort of rate uh, this episode then as a, a sort of season premiere? Oh, it was great. I would give it probably like eight or nine out of ten. Like it's just I think it just hits all the right notes and it does like the pacing is fantastic. It's great at 
you know, introducing your characters, setting up the tone for the show and, you know, setting up your main villain that will come up later on. Uh, I just think it just, like, the writing in it as well is just on point. It just, like, it just seems like, honestly, a season finale than it does the start of a, than the start of a, a show. Yeah, I, I'd agree wholeheartedly with that. I would say I'd probably rate it probably a nine. It's uh, one of the best season premieres for a and for a new, you know, for a brand new series that I've ever seen. It does a really good job of introducing the sort of characters and uh, plot and storylines in quite an org- quite organic, unforced ways, really, which is uh, quite rare to see. And yeah, it just sort of flows along really nicely as a, and works really well as a double episode. So uh, yeah, definitely um, uh, a really good, a really good uh, sort of show in it, uh, episode in its own right, really, and uh, sets the standard for for things to come. So Sam, you got any uh, any sort of plugs or anything before we uh, say our goodbyes? Uh, not really. I'm not really doing much at the moment, so just kind of playing it by ear, waiting to see. Fair play. Uh, well, you can find me as always with uh, Scott on Podding Ain't Easy. Uh, at the moment, we've got a Spider-Man. Uh, no Way Home trailer review out there, which we did as a talk for a good half hour about um, the trailer, breaking it down and what we can expect from the film, which was uh, a lot of fun. So um, tune into that and don't forget to find us uh, Rogue Opinions on Twitter and Instagram at Rogue underscore Opinions. And that is it for now. That is goodbye from me. Goodbye from me.